lovers as time goes by. Welcome lovers As time goes by Hello and welcome back to Crank Kick Commentaries As always, my name is Jake Domastro And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Keaton Byer Hello, Keaton Hello, why wow, you called me a co-host this time yeah, I don't know. I usually call you my very good friend, but yeah, I feel do. like that's, you know, uh, it might be, you know, gleaned that, you know, somehow you're not a co-host <laughs> if I don't say it. So I figure this time I'll say it. Well, you're the lead host because you introduce the episode. The, sh- right. the show. Right, okay. You're like... Yes, yeah. but you are definitely one of the hosts. You're yeah. on every episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not a guest, I don't think. No, 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 no. Yeah, um, so that's a pretty good song. As time goes by, yeah, Jimmy Durant, pretty classic. Jimmy Duranti, Durant, Jimmy Durant. Jimmy Durant. I don't know. I don't know how you pronounce that. Me neither. Me I assume neither. Jimmy Durant. Yeah, not the best version of that song, in my opinion. Uh, what would you say is the best version? Um, I mean, you know, Sam. <laughs> Is Sorry? The best. Sam from Casablanca does oh, the right. best version. <laughs> I think we for I don't know if I mentioned that last episode. Like, there's a few Casablanca references. Yeah, you did. Wait, I don't know if you actually said it on the show, but it was definitely on the outline. It was in the outline. Yeah, I, don't I remember reading I it. it. Yeah. I don't remember if you actually said it or not. But yeah, there's that song, and then there's another one when he what does he say? She says like. She says play it again or something. I don't know. There's there's a, another well, one. Play it again. Like play it again, Sam. Isn't that the classic line? Yeah. Well, he she says wait, play wait, it wait. again. She doesn't say Sam. Actually, In yeah, because play it again. It's one of those lines that nobody actually says but is famous. Is play it again, Sam? Yeah. What, there's a name it's for like that. It's like beat me up, Scotty. Exactly. There's a name for like that. Like nobody ever says beat me up, Scotty. It's it's always like, Scotty beat me up or exactly. you know something close to that, but it's never like exactly a, that. A line that's never said in the film um, but is uh, often misquoted. Like another one is exactly uh, uh, um... two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. I always think um, a lot of people say like, "Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Dave, but I'm afraid I can't let you do that." What is but it? But actually... I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. I'm afraid I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The there's actual a, another one's a Highlander where he with uh, there can there can only be one. It's actually there can be only one. <laughs> yeah. That one gets me every time. Uh, yeah, anyway, you know, some people might might say that we're pedantic, but but I think this is you very might important. say no, it's important <laughs> stuff because it irks you when you hear it incorrectly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, what movie are we doing today, though? Uh, we're continuing with Sleepless in Seattle, part dose, part two. Yeah. Uh, what did we talk about on part one, Keaton? Uh, that was a whole week ago, so you're gonna have you're twisting my arm here, um, but. We talked about the production a bit. We talked about the director, Nora Ephron. We gave a little bit of background on her. And then we talked production and then Trek, mostly, I think, was the that was the uh, the topics of discussion. Yeah, pretty much. I'd say that uh, covers it. But what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to start with the music because I think as we ended the last episode, we kind of like realized we we forgot to Didn't mention talk about the music. We forgot to mention the music, so we're gonna. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. So we'll we'll jump right in there. Okay, I have a few things to say, but I think that uh, we should probably talk about you know sort of the production angle on this first. <laughs> what do you mean the production angle? Oh well, I mean just like you know uh, the who's and. Oh, the who's the, and what's and all that. The who's that. and what's and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, so who was it actually scored by in the end? Who did the soundtrack, rather? 
Uh, it was um, Mark, Mark Scheiman. Scheiman. He did the score, I believe. It says music by. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, apparently he scored the film. So initially, before they got, was it Mark Scheiman? Yeah. Um, before they got him, they were actually going to, uh, they asked somebody who we've discussed before. But would that be John Barry? The legendary John Barry? The legendary John Barry, indeed. Uh, he was supposed to score this film, uh, but he ended up not doing it for uh, a specific reason. So do you want to read this quote from from John Barry? He said, I was offered Sleepless in Seattle. They sent me the script. They asked me to do it, and I said I would be very interested. But then I heard there was a so-called musical supervisor, (laughs) and whenever I hear that, I want to run. (laughs) So then the musical supervisor came into the picture, and then I spoke to a guy who runs Epic Music in Los Angeles, and he said he wanted these songs, and I said... Can I have a list? Fax me a list. And there was about 20 songs, and I said, well, where am I? <laughs> right. Then I didn't want to do this movie. I think he basically means, like, you know, if there's 20 songs in the movie, where's, the uh, score? where's his score going to be, right? Yeah, exactly. Who, like, are these? So that's kind of what I wanted to, like, get into. Like, that's what I was kind of getting at. Like, these 20 songs, are so they're coming from the guy who runs epic music because they have like a deal with the studio or do you think I, like I, the production do you think like Nora Ephron had like a hand in the in the songs that were that were well chosen? I think it's a mix of both but uh, I get the sense that you know the studio definitely wanted uh, certain uh, certain things in the movie right right like I mean for example I get the sense that like the Celine Dion song that they have in the end is like yeah. That wasn't like from the that wasn't the suggestion from the creative team. That was because the they wanted to help sell the movie, right? Yeah, they needed like a they needed a single from the movie. Exactly. So what was that one called? When I Fall in Love. Yeah. So we called it CanCon when we were going out of the last episode. Oh, is it technically not CanCon? Did, well, did you did you go through the maple and decide that it was or wasn't? Well, I mean, let me let me let me look at maple here. I mean, it's CanCon in the sense that it's sung by Celine Dion, who's Canadian. So no, but there's a specific uh, the maple system. This is to decide whether or not something qualifies as CanCon. Gotcha. Okay, so to qualify as Canadian content, a musical selection must fulfill at least two of the following conditions. Uh, okay. The music is composed entirely by a Canadian. Okay, I do not believe it is. Because it's not originally written for this. It's not. She didn't write it, so... but uh, It was written by... It could. I'm just saying it's co- it could coincidentally be also written by a Canadian. Yeah, I know I that's from it is. single by... No, it was not. Uh, it was written by uh, Edward Heyman and Victor Young. Oh, there we go. Who are both Americans. Okay. The artist, that is, the music or the lyrics are performed principally by a Canadian. We got that. Okay. So, but don't you need, so you need both of those things? No, you need, no, that's, th- there's four categories. Oh, there's four. And it has to have okay, two keep, of them. Keep, keep going. So we've got one. Performance. The musical selection consists of a live performance that was, um, Recorded wholly in Canada or performed wholly in Canada and broadcast live in Canada. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I don't hmm. think that's Where was true. it recorded? Yeah, that's uh, a good question. <laughs> my guess is LA, but... Uh, that's going to be a difficult one to, <laughs> to verify. Uh, yeah, I'm going to assume it was in LA, but, uh, you know, we could... So I think it might not be CanCon because the last select section is lyrics. The lyrics are written entirely by a Canadian, as we just, so, you know, as we just uh, said. No, they're not. Just verified. So it's actually not, and really, it is not CanCon, and it's really a duet. So only it's only really fifty percent sung by a Canadian. So <laughs> I, I don't think you have to have everybody in it be uh, Canadian, right? right. Uh, although it says for the purposes, of the it defines what it means to be a Canadian here. For the purposes of the Apple <laughs> system. Oh, really? They must be either a Canadian citizen, 
A permanent res- resident, as defined by the Immigration Act, 1976, gotcha. or a person whose ordinary place of residence was Canada for six months immediately preceding their musical contribution. So you only need to live in six in Canada for six months, con- yeah. to contribute to it. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Um. Oh, and then the last thing is um, a licensee, a person who is licensed to operate a radio station. Presumably in Canada. In Canada, yeah, right. Okay, so... Um, oh, there are four other special cases that may also qualify as Canadian content. Let's oh, see. Oh, here we go. This is where it gets interesting. Okay. It was recorded before January 1972 and meets one of the above conditions. Okay, before. so if it's recorded before 1972, it only needs to re- meet one of them. Okay, well, it was not. <laughs> it was not. Okay. Uh, it is an instrumental per- performance uh, of a musical composition written or composed by a Canadian. No, it is not. It is not. Uh, it was a per- performance of a musical composition that a Canadian has composed for instruments only. It is not. <laughs> Which is subtly different from the last point. It is subtly <laughs> different, but different um, nonetheless. It was performed live or recorded after September 1st, 1991. And in addition to meeting the criterion for either artist or production, a Canadian who has collaborated with a non-Canadian receives at least half the credit for both music and lyrics. No. No. <laughs> I, thought they, they, I thought maybe we'd sneak by on the last one, but no. No, because it was recorded after September 1st, 1991. But it is not. But no. Not. No. No. So an un- decidedly un-CanCon, the recording no. of When I No, Fall it only up. meets one of the four uh, parts of the Maple system. Yep. So, Sorry. You, uh, you so, got yeah. another incorrect statement on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Not CanCon. I'm sorry. Not CanCon. I apologize, CRTC. Also. <laughs> this podcast, however, definitely CanCon. 100% CanCon. It meets almost every single one of those uh, criteria. Well, it wouldn't, this wouldn't be, it wouldn't use this system to decide. That's true. Because it's not music. It's not music. But regardless, yeah. it. I think it would meet. Almost yeah, all the there is another system, I assume, for, like, I guess would be, like, under talk radio, probably, <laughs> <laughs> that would decide what whether or not we were getting gun. Which talk radio. Presumably, we totally are. Yeah. Um, so, I want to, uh, just before we move on from talking about that particular song, um, yeah, I want to uh, sort of mention something that I've brought up before when we were talking about Top Gun. <laughs> Okay, and that is that um, the DX, the Yamaha DX7 is all <laughs> over this track. <laughs> Classic, yes. I, I actually, I actually do not have like verifiable like evidence. Like, I do not know like how it was recorded, but right. just by ear, you like, can tell by that's listening. a DX7. You know, like let's just uh, for throw, any, yeah, throw that it. shit on. Yeah, you hear that E piano? Oh yeah, I hear it. That's DX7. And it's also going to use the same bass that was in uh, Take My Breath Away later. (laughs) Which was in Top Gun. So sick. So Top Gun was 87. So yeah, yeah, this is, I guess we're we're on the tail end of the... uh, Yeah, the the DX7, you know, had a really long lifespan, you know? Right. I don't think it's quite made a comeback yet. Endlessly useful. Yeah. Well, I'm sure with the exposure that we're giving it, I... <laughs> I don't think our exposure is anything really for that. But, um... <laughs> like, I was, what was I going to say? Yeah, it, it, it's... Today, it, it's, like, usually somewhat maligned. Oh, you hear that bass? So, so before we like, you know, move on. Still, I like, I gotta, I gotta show you once again. I gotta put on "Take My Breath Away" so that you can oh, hear that yeah. it's the same bass. Grammy-winning performance, uh, by the way, of "When I Fall in Love." Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, but it's the same instrument.
that's the DX7s on that one, too? Yeah, that's the base. That's it, right. I have one, you know, slightly obscure fact left to say about the music. And what is that? Uh, and that is because, you know, if you if you'd watched the uh, the Japanese version of this movie, <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, you know, many consider to be the, the definitive version. Oh, yes. Well, many Japanese people just consider it thus. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you will find that the... Uh, the main theme is not, in fact, uh, the uh, the one that we opened, the, the Jimmy Durant song, As Time Goes By. No? What is it? But it is rather uh, the song Winter Song by the band Dreams Come True. Do you, and do you have that song? I do not, because it's really hard to find in <laughs> okay. North America, because uh, reasons. Right. Winter Song by who? Dreams Come True. Which is uh, sort of like a Japanese like J-pop band from the '90s. So, are we gonna immediately get taken down from wherever if I like find a version, put it in? Uh, possibly, but you should try anyway. <laughs> we'll probably get blocked from YouTube, but that happens all the time. Look into the sky. I wonder where you are, the way you came into my life, feeling every day. But yeah, so why is why do I care about dreams come true? Why? And that is because the bass player um, for dreams come true also composed the uh, the music for Sonic the Hedgehog one and two on the Sega Genesis. Holy shit! And yeah, as you may know, I'm a big fan of the Sega Genesis. Yeah, I don't know if that's co- how many times that's come up uh, in the podcast. It's definitely come up, but not lately. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was mostly in reference to NHL 94. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, that's right. Of course. But yeah. Yeah, he didn't do Sonic 3, though. So which one was the Michael Jackson one? That was Sonic 3. Ah, right, okay. Well, it's uh, technically, you know, you will not find Michael Jackson credited anywhere, but... It's definitely Michael Jackson. He had nothing to do with it. He officially had nothing to do with it, but I've looked into it, and he definitely had something to do with it. <laughs> I mean, he had a lot to do with it, it seems. Yeah. I mean, he wrote it, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. basically, the idea is, like, either, like, um, either he wrote it, or a lot of people connected to him worked on it, and he had suspiciously nothing to do with it. Suspiciously nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's... That's that aside. That's you know, that one aside. day maybe one that would day. be like a talk about that under the truth. <laughs> I yeah. don't know what movie that would refer to. But yeah, Something no, with it's Michael uh, Jackson in it. Yeah, maybe exactly. Sonic, there, Sonic movie. I don't know. I don't know. We there we, we might be a way to get there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I think it's uh, all we have to say about that. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> music yeah so i guess we can move on to the production now yeah um and it's still kind of a mixture like last episode i kind of like ended like yeah it's a mixture of production and pre-production because the line's blurred but (laughs) yeah definitely so but i've got some corrections to make you do um that not necessarily i I wouldn't okay well it was false what did you Um, say that was false but new shit has come to light, man. New shit has um, come to light. Yeah, well, I found an interview. Well, not an interview, but a brief like uh, soundbite of Nora Ephron talking. Um, yeah, and, I, I I saw that. I uh, listened to it. Yeah, and what what I learned from that, what you learned from that, is that it turns out that Nora Ephron was brought on after what's his name? David S. Ward. David S. Ward. Yeah, I mean, um, we already knew he was. She was brought on after uh, Jeff Arch. Yeah, we knew that. We knew that. I because I think the way we made it sound like, or I made it sound like, she was the second uh, second writer brought on, but she says she was the fourth writer. Right. Uh, so, so, but was she brought on after David S. Wart? She's the fourth writer that was brought on, but only three of them were credited. Right. So, like, maybe it's there true. were it's three possible. other writers it could that be just. That 
wrote or two other writers that wrote drafts that never got used. That's true. She didn't specifically say it was after David S. Ward. She just said she was the fourth writer to be brought on. Yeah. She also said that there was another director uh, okay. when she was brought on. Yeah, no, that's that's not that surprising, but yeah. But I think it was just like the project wasn't that far along, but... Well, uh, I got the sense that they already had even cast the leads at that point. Well, that's the thing is they, they kind of had the film going. They had already cast, because uh, last time we talked about how they had cast... Uh, Dennis Quaid and Kim Bas- Basinger, yeah. Basinger, Basinger. Ba- ba- I'm gonna say Basinger. Basinger. Know. So they cast. They were cast, as we mentioned, and they did some some location scouting. <laughs> yeah. Um, in some places where beautiful people can come from, but apparently, so Nora Ephron does. Uh, she does like a, a three week kind of rewrite of the script. Right. Which, what did she call it? She called it, quote unquote, she called it nutrient rich dirt. The script? Which, like, not, yeah. not, not, that, that wasn't the, the working title for the movie, was it? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, she said, she said the script was, wasn't quite there. It was, it was dirt and her, she needed to sow crops, but it was, it was a nutrient rich dirt. Okay. You know what else is nutrient rich? What? Manure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's not necessarily, I mean, that that could be, like, considered serious shade. <laughs> I think it, I think it was a little bit pointed. <laughs> yeah, like, like I, think, I think she, she like, was, nutrient-rich dirt could be saying, like, yeah, your script is shit. <laughs> I think, I think she was throwing a bit of shade. Like, I think she's yeah. saying, it's a good story, but there was no script. I needed to turn it into... Mm-hmm something good and then she says yeah so the, after she turned in her script there was this quote-unquote 48 hour uh period um which it seems this is kind of when things really like get the ball rolling on the on the version of the film that we we know and love i'm kind of assuming this is when she became the director i don't know that but that's just speculation on my part because she didn't seem to be the director before this point whatever well they had a different comes one. together yeah, exactly. <laughs> she said that everyone in Hollywood wanted to be attached to the film. After this, uh, in this 48 period, it became super popular and like they were getting a bunch of calls. But everyone in Hollywood except Kim uh, Basinger wanted to be attached. So, so like everybody wanted to, as, as soon as she finished her rewrite of the script. Yeah. Okay. Huh. So but again, that's coming from her. So who knows exactly how true that is? So is she saying that? That Jeff Arch's original script was trash? I think she was kind of saying that it was a trash project before she got involved. <laughs> she's not in so many words. It's not, she's not saying that. She's implying it a little bit, I think. Right, okay. Yeah. But that doesn't totally surprise me. Like, you know. No, no, yeah. I mean, from like the, the sense I got, I don't think Jeff Arch would really care if she said that. No, no, yeah. I think he's just happy that he. <laughs> Happy to be making a movie. movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't even have the idea for the kid. The kid calling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's huge. Yeah. Anyway, um, but then then you have Tom Hanks, who, as we mentioned, uh, she gets, Nora Ephron gets Tom Hanks involved. Yeah. We mentioned that last week. Wouldn't um, be the same without him. No, exactly. He replaces Dennis Quaid. I don't really know how... He falls out of the project because she doesn't say. Well, that I mean, we know that for... Kim Basinger didn't want to be in the project, so maybe it was like, well, you know, if, if Kim Basinger's not in it, I'm not in it. Yeah, and okay. So also, I don't know much about this this world, this side of Hollywood. Um, not sure that I do either. You want to you want to clarify? So, was Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan did they were they married? Were they? Or did they did they have a thing? Oh yeah, no, they were married from 1991 when? to 2001. So see, there you go. That's really weird. In- interesting. They, they were married while this whole thing was happening. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. Uh, yeah, that's weird. That's really weird. Why he would. He wouldn't be in it, but then his wife was. Was, but it also seems like she was in it. It was unrelated to him being in it, because it seems like... 
Well, maybe that's how she first read the script. Yeah, maybe. But she had worked with Nora Ephron before. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe Dennis Quaid had a better, uh, you know, um, got a better offer to do something else. Yeah, maybe. What Did he do a movie that year? Uh, let's find out. 19, this is 1992? Well, I would have been filming in 1992, So it's 1993 that it came out. That's when the, that's when the film came out, yeah. Because uh, it looks like Dennis Quaid was in three movies in 1993. Jesus Christ. Uh, he That's was a in lot of Wilder Napalm, Undercover Don't Blues. Don't know that movie either. Flesh and Bone. Which I've also has Meg Ryan. That movie. Oh, that's right, because in one of the interviews, uh, I, I heard her talking. That's how I thought that they were married, is she was talking about um, filming that movie shortly after they filmed this movie. Okay. And it was a lot more intense. <laughs> that Flesh movie. and Bone was? Yeah, because it was it's a more well, serious movie. Well, it seems movie. like more dramatic. As you can, yeah, probably tell from the title. Uh, like, um, I mean, Sleepless in Seattle, like, you know, it's, it's kind of a light movie. <laughs> like, it's a, yeah, it's light, lighthearted. I mean, not lighthearted. I mean, it's, it, it's intense emotion, but... I feel like there's no real uh, risk. <laughs> no, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, except for the kid, like literally flying to New York by himself. I guess that's kind of risky. Yeah, I guess. But it turned out okay. Yeah. So yeah, but and so we don't get we don't get Dennis Quaid. We don't get Meg Ryan's husband at the at the time for some reason. No, yeah, that uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, weird. Maybe they didn't want to. I mean, they didn't want to be like you know, in the movie like and maybe it'd be hard to act. You know what I mean? Well, they were in a movie together in the same year, right? But I mean, maybe because like they're not supposed to know each other at the beginning, you know? Right. I don't know. Right. I mean, I remember like. Uh, but Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks knew each other. No, I don't know. But like, I remember like when we were talking about The Fly. I remember how. Uh, uh, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum and uh, Gina Gina Davis were dating at the time. Yeah, that's right. And he I was remember really weird about it. There was a concern, I think, that you know their relationship would like you know impact the the movie in some way. In some way, which it did. I well, think. it did, but I, I would think positively, right? Yeah. Well, it created all, all the tension. Oh with... well, the, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't know explicitly that that's the reason why it was, but like you know, yeah, probably. <laughs> no, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so we get Tom Hanks instead, who apparently says after he he was immediately interested in the role after reading the script. Yeah, this is Nora Ephron's version of the script. Yeah, this is the Nora Ephron yeah. version. She she gets it to Tom Hanks, and he said it. He thought it was unique. Um, a, a unique script because it stood out to him that the the main dude wasn't like a quote unquote dolt. Okay, <laughs> like is is that just like considered the norm in rom coms? Like that? Uh, I guess at the time it was. I don't know. Like what what would be a rom com that came out of the time? But that uh, I don't know. That's the thing. Like I'm not very familiar see. with nineties rom coms. <laughs> I don't know many of these movies. Best. These are all best. Yeah, 90s I want the, the the average nineties rom com, right? Yeah. Yeah, Sleepless in Seattle keeps popping up. Yeah, it's in on all it's the number fucking one on all the fucking lists. You've got oh, mail yeah. as number two. <laughs> I don't know. Um I think nineties rom coms is very much not my uh field of expertise. Yeah, me neither, <laughs> apparently. So I'm learning. You know, maybe if we did, like, 2000s rom-coms, I might know a little bit better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, no, so it seems that that was the norm according to Tom Hanks. And I'll, I'll believe him. He seems to know what he's yeah, saying. Yeah, I right? mean, he's yeah, he's more, uh, you know, more reliable to source on that than I am. <laughs> yeah. T- t- Tom Hanks has become really good at interviews, obviously. Well, he's um, done so many of them. Because he's yeah he's Tom freaking Hanks, uh, but in the this interview I found it super interesting. Just the one I was reading where he, he or watching where he 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 said the thing about the dolt. I just found it super interesting that is because everyone called Tom Hanks a writer and that 
he oh, always yeah. added a lot to the the character and like right. that you know the, the the character wouldn't be the same without him so it, i just found it interesting that when when the when the interviewer was like asking tom hanks about like a uh, 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 personal stuff you know he was not it wasn't a good interview you know like he wasn't actually answering the questions and he was like struggling for answers and stuff but like the second she like went into like asking him about the character he like you know turned on and was like all of a sudden like oh yeah you know like what do you mean like personal stuff like talking about like well she was like what movies did you like when you grow up like what when did you what did you just like you know kind of boring you know questions like that Right. And then she was like, "So, what do you think about the character?" And and then he always he like lights up, and he's like, "Well, you know, I thought that he was oh, super, okay. uh, uh, you know, uh, accessible and like, you know, et cetera, right. et cetera." Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. I mean, that's also interesting given how you know I think you were kind of implying that like you know most of Tom Hanks's characters are played in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> of which I found two yeah. exceptions, but uh, you did. Yeah, there was uh, what Forrest were Gump Forrest... and the Terminal was my two exceptions. But you seem Except to think the... that the Terminal is still just basic Tom Hanks. Yeah, the to- Terminal's a hundred percent just Tom Hanks with an accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good movie. We should do that movie at some point. That's a great movie. Um, have you seen Joe versus the Volcano? No. That's a good Tom Hanks movie. Sorry, I lost my thought. Train yeah, thought talking about Tom Hanks. Yeah, so we were just talking about how he was—he uh, added a lot to the character. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. It's not a houseboat. What do you mean? It's apparently not a houseboat. Uh, technically speaking. Right. It's technically a floating house. What's the distinction exactly? Um, well, okay, I haven't I didn't Google it. I figured we'd do that on the air, but my my layman's understanding is that a houseboat is more a a boat that has like house features. Right. You know? And you can like sail it from place to place. Or a oh, so you can't house, move a floating house. Exactly. I think I don't think. Or you maybe can, you like, can, but not like you can't sail it. It probably has to be towed. You can tow think. it, but right. uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think it has its own like acceleration, and I don't think it's like a functioning boat. Right. It's just its foundations are floating. Damn! I just Google floating house. These things are cool. At this point, you get into the sort of thing like uh, how they uh, shooting like interiors and exteriors and where they shot stuff. Which is, like, vaguely interesting if you're into that sort of thing. Like, the houseboat that was most... Or, sorry. Floating house. Exactly. You gotta gotta be specific. Yeah. Like, that was mostly an exterior. I guess a floating house doesn't have, like, a a boat-shaped hull. You know what I mean? A boat-shaped hull? Yeah. Yeah, whereas, like, a houseboat is, like, you know, it's got, like, a hull. You know what I mean? But it looks like there's a significant amount of, like, crossover between these two things. Yeah. I think like that when you doesn't call surprise one me. Be, yeah. Also, I think I think the idea is that a a house a floating house is more classy than a houseboat. Yeah, that's what it seems. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're usually like multiple stories and like. Yeah. There's a. I watched a, a great like local news Seattle local news station. They were doing like a 25 year anniversary of Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, yeah? Well, um, I mean, I imagine, like, Seattle probably doesn't get a lot of, like, you know, exposure in cinema. You know oh, what I mean? it was so fucking funny. It was so funny, because they opened with, like, it puts Seattle on the map. <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, like, I feel like Seattle, like, you know, I mean, I feel like in the 90s, like, early 90s like this, Seattle was probably having, like, you know, like a bit of a... A boom. A boom, you know what I mean? With all the Seattle music scene taking off, but, like... There's um, music, you got... um, um, I guess Microsoft wasn't there yet. Yeah, they were. I think they just moved They were? Early 90s, they kind of moved to Microsoft. They moved to uh, Seattle. Or maybe even before that. No, no, they... Oh, actually, no, they've been in Seattle for a long time. So there you go. Microsoft was there. Microsoft was there, but, like, you know... 
I feel I like guess that's not really a big selling point. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's not a big selling point, but that is like an important thing for Seattle. Yeah, for like the city of Seattle. For that's the city cool. of Seattle, like sure, that's that's you know probably great for the economy, but like um, yeah, yeah, I I just think that's that that's really interesting that uh, just because like you know, and I'm sure there's not a lot of things that are filmed in Seattle. Yeah, because you know Vancouver is so close, so why not just shoot it there? Just shoot in Vancouver, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess they've. We talked about it briefly when I think it was also the Fly episode where like Toronto is so often New York. Yeah, no, no, exactly, and you know, do you, do you, does that happen with Seattle and Vancouver? Do you think? I mean, I think it does, but I don't think many things are set in Seattle anyway. Right, so it doesn't actually. I think I think Vancouver much. is just every city. Right. Yeah, because it's just everyone. You, you know, you just you just you know mess with the color grade and you know any any vancouver can turn into any city <laughs> you know just just drop the saturation it's eastern europe you know like yep, uh, yep. <laughs> you know yeah, add exactly. some sort of like uh orange haze it's like you know it's, it's southern california you know yeah well there are all those memes going around lately of like add a yellow filter and it's mexico yeah like on one side of the border no no but they're all vancouver they're all actually (laughs) vancouver is the thing it's all vancouver (laughs) (laughs) but yeah in this so in this in this new segment they show just how like uh the uh the diner where tom hanks and uh uh rob reiner had their conversation yeah is like there's like a plaque at the really at the seat that they sat at in the diner. <laughs> That's funny. Like it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Big deal for the city of Seattle. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, Seattle's in the title, right? So it's, it's like, in the title. It's be, yeah. You know, I'm sure. You know, all the money that this movie made is from every person who lives in Seattle going to see it. Well, yeah, there was a ton of people. It was a, it was honestly an adorable broadcast because they had yeah, like I think a bunch great. of people. Yeah. Yeah, there was a bunch of people who were like in the film. Um, as extras who like lived in Seattle, like uh, one of them I thought so was the, great was it was, was actually filmed in Seattle then. Parts of it, yeah, yeah. Except for the part that was in New York and the part that was in Baltimore, but like. Yeah, and I think there were some interiors uh, done and in, probably done in LA, but yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure about that where the interiors were done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the great one was there was uh, the lady who was the flight attendant. Yeah. To, to the to the kid when he's flying to New York, and they only show the back of her head, but they they interviewed her and uh, they're oh, like, was she like a local Seattle woman? Yeah, she's a local Seattle woman, and she had been a flight attendant, so she really was, oh she, she was, was a real flight attendant, right? Eh? Not, not yeah just yeah. Cash, yeah. That's so cool. she knew what she was doing, and then they were like, yeah, so she finally gets her like the the screen debut of the front of her face <laughs> because they only show the back of her head <laughs> right in the, in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Anyway, there's a, there's a few of those. It was great. Um, yeah, but you know, maybe the, one day we'll go to Seattle and we'll go to that diner. Yeah, I I I'd be it'd be on the list for sure. Why not? Yeah, I mean, uh, which Oh, uh, I mean, maybe we. I mean, we can. Uh, you know, the COVID restrictions are uh, easing around uh, the border. You know, maybe we could uh, head up there soon. <laughs> Yeah, actually, we actually could. We actually can. We have our doses now. <laughs> yeah, this podcast has been so limited by the c- confines of yeah. the vid that exactly you it's know it's gonna be weird. We're in a post vid yeah. world. Yeah, this is a fully vaccinated podcast now. It's true, one hundred percent vaccinated. Which yeah. reminds me, everyone who isn't vaccinated in this. Oh yeah, yeah. PSA: Go get your vaccine, please. Go get your vaccine. <laughs> If, you're, if it's available where you're listening. Yeah. If, if you're in Toronto, not, stay safe. just get it. You can. It's easy. <laughs> it's easy, yeah. But yeah, cool thing. You know, uh, Seattle, we're coming for you. You know? <laughs> yeah, we're on our way. We're on our way. We're going to come. The They interviewed the sisters who owned the houseboat now, or the floating house. Oh, oh that would be a great, like, just kind of thing to like story like you know oh yeah you know uh, they filmed uh sleepless in seattle in this house yeah well people like because it's a huge tourist thing apparently really not huge i'm not gonna say huge but apparently people well, it's a like, tourist thing. go to the it's <laughs> people a go to the thing. houseboat people, 
But that's right, the, the floating yeah. house. Yeah, and they say it's kind of funny because they're like, yeah, you know, sometimes you just get in your paper in your pajamas and you see people standing across the street, like staring at your house or like going by in a in a yeah. sightseeing boat. Yeah, you know, that's and, just like, a at you. that's a weird thing that happens. Like, because when we were talking about the uh, what was it? Uh, was it Knives Out? You're thinking Knives Out. out. We were saying that the uh, the the people who owned the house were like somewhat skeptical of it right yeah specifically i assume for this reason right yeah and it was affirmed when like that website like published their location and exactly people kept yeah, going yeah. to the house like, and they were upset about so, yeah, it i totally understand like if you don't like if you don't want to have your place used for a movie like, yeah <laughs> well they they seem to take it in extremely good humor they seem yeah, to be the, the people in uh, seattle who who owned the floating house? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, finally the the the, the best thing that came from this uh this news segment, um, is I believe it was called the Value Restaurant. Yeah. They rented it out one night for filming. I believe it's the restaurant where no, that can't be right. Never mind. I was gonna say it's the restaurant where she dumps what's his name. No, because that's in New York. But that's in New York. Did you so call no, him Baxter? I, I, yeah, I did. <laughs> I mean, he is a Baxter. But he is a Baxter, yeah. His name also, was... As uh... I was... When I was editing that episode last week, when yeah. you asked me, have you heard of a Baxter? Yeah. And I said, I said no, but we've talked about it on this show before. Have like, we? we? What episode did we talk about Baxters? I don't remember exactly, but I do remember like, oh yeah, we totally talked about that Baxter before. Um, I don't remember what movie, but presumably a movie where there would be a Baxter. It might have even been the fly because he's not a baxter oh but he may have anyway it doesn't matter right. i don't remember anyway, yeah when anyway we, so we sorry walter is the guy's name is the guy's it's, name, it's not yeah. baxter although let me just clearly like you know uh explain why the name baxter actually makes no sense for this yeah please do because um baxter like the name i believe comes from the the Jack Lemon film, The Apartment. Right. Where his name is C.C. Baxter. Right. But at the end of the movie, he does get the girl. So it's like completely... So it doesn't even fucking work. It doesn't even make any sense. I mean, well, to, when you see... like in it, it seems like most of the movie that he's going to be the Baxter, but then he's not. Then he's not the Baxter. So but yeah. But I don't know. The movie I always think that like kind of embodies it is uh, His Girl Friday. Which is oh, a Cary yeah. Grant movie, actually. Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> factors into this film. Um, yeah. But yeah, because there's just that guy, and then, like, you know, the whole movie, she's like, you know, I'm not going to let Cary Grant, like, you know, pull me back into this, and then and then she just dumps the guy, like, at the end, really. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the point of all of this is that they rented out a restaurant. <laughs> right, yeah, which is not... Which is not the place where Walter gets dumped. Not where she dumps Baxter. Walter. Walter. <laughs> Walter. Um, it's one of the restaurants, but they they just so happened to have a peanut butter cookie at this restaurant. Yeah? A peanut butter sandwich cookie that a peanut Nora butter Efron... Sa- Wait, what? what so it's that? like... They showed a picture of it. It looks like some sort of... like regular cookie like i couldn't tell what kind of cookie it was but it was like kind of brownish um with like and he described the inside as being like a peanut butter and butter mixture okay uh, interesting so it's like a sandwich cookie so it's like two cookies one on top of the other it's two cookies it's like an oreo but the inside is like a peanut butter so but how does this relate to the film so nora efron loved these cookies when they were filming them there oh i see um so and years later apparently nora or either herself or someone related to her contacted the owner um asking for a recipe for the cookie yeah because nora efron loved them and like apparently it was on her mind so he gave them she he gladly gave the recipe um and then further on even later they were rebranding the restaurant and uh, and everything and he wanted to rename the cookie, so he reached out to Nora Ephron asking if he could rename the cookie after her, and she gladly agreed. <laughs> so yeah, that's hilarious. Named, <laughs> I'd love to have a cookie named, named after me. Who? Why not? Yeah, who, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't 
love to have a cookie named after them. So yeah, if you're if you're in Seattle, I believe it's the Value Restaurant. Go get yourself a Nora. Is that what it's called now? Because you said they were rebranding. I believe it was. I believe it was. That's what they said on the newscast. Okay, I'll check it out. I mean, you know, if I'm ever in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look it up, the Nora Ephron cookie, if you're ever in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we could, you know, continue talking about, you know, places in Seattle all the time. But, you know, I feel like, uh, <laughs> you know, we'd probably have more time for this if it was in Toronto, to be honest. Yeah, we would we, we would, we would, do three parts if this was filmed yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, if this was Toronto, we'd be like, you know, yeah, this is, uh, you know, and they were here, and the <laughs> yeah. they were in Kensington Market. <laughs> but... Yeah. Yeah. Sadly it was not. So anywho, I guess that that brings us to our our next segment here. Yeah. Uh speaking of Baxters. Okay, I'm not sure where you're going with those. <laughs> this so okay, no, this is good. This is a great segue. So you were saying to me earlier that this film is shot, the way this film is shot. Oh, I see. I see where you're going now. You, you get you get my segue? Are you saying because it's boring? Precisely. Okay, well, uh, you know, we'll talk about it anyway. (laughs) Well, uh, welcome to uh, How Did They Shoot It? Where we answer the very poignant question... How did they shoot it? What a poignant question it is. And what a stressful sound that has become to me now. Oh, because now you've heard it while while we were actually shooting something? Yeah, while it's trained upon you and you have to do everything right or else you're wasting film. I mean, you know, uh, you gotta do what you gotta do. Sometimes you gotta waste film. You gotta waste film to make film, baby. Well, (laughs) ideally you don't, but, you know, you're probably gonna... (laughs) Oh, so anyway, um, uh, first let's uh, you know discuss the people involved. We have a uh, director of photography, Sven Nyqvist. Sven Nyqvist. And we have first assistant camera. Our 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 favorite fella. Yeah, the favorite, very important fella, Jeff Cronenweth or Cronenveth. I don't know how you pronounce that. But uh, actually, he's had a pretty. Uh, Interesting career, Jeff. Has also he? worked on, yeah he uh, he become a, he became a director of photography. Oh, interesting. Having done a couple movies which you may have heard of, uh, Fight Club, The Girl with the Dragon <laughs> Tattoo, The Social Network, and Gone Girl. So the first, wow. So I guess he he worked with David Fincher a lot. Uh. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. yeah. And I'm looking at the uh, cinematographer Sven. Sven, uh, Sven Nyqvist. Uh, yeah, he's done, done some stuff as well. Done a lot of uh, European movies. Yeah, well, it looks like he did a lot of Swedish films in his early career because he's Swedish. Exactly. But yeah, um, like I kind of alluded to, uh, there's not a hell of a lot going on with the way they shot this movie. No. It's, it's, it's like the most basic way you could shoot a movie like you know it's 35 millimeter uh you know with a uh, a slight crop you know 1.85 to 1 uh which is a very Basically, standard aspect ratio sorry so as cookie cutter as it comes really as cookie cutter as it comes you know standard uh you know panavision panaflex camera using spherical lenses non-anamorphic that is <laughs> and uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just like there's just honestly not that much to say. It's 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 shot like it doesn't necessarily draw a lot of attention to itself. No, it's well, it's not really about any of that. I'm no, just it's not. It's about the characters, and it's about the uh, yeah, you know, exactly. not that you know you're saying that the cinematography can't support the uh, character, but you know, in this case, it doesn't do a whole lot to do that. No. I'm just yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't think it necessarily needs to. It's not distracting in any way. It. uh... No, it's well done, and it's just not the memorable part of the film. (laughs) 
Uh, we were talking. We briefly mentioned last week the. Uh, did we mention it? Maybe we didn't. What about what? That this film has the intentional focus pull. Yeah, we did. We talked about that actually. Yeah, <laughs> the intentional like. Oh, the intentional overshoot. Focusing, yeah. Rather, overshoot yeah. Of focus, yeah. Because it's trying to be like a. a Imply. A because the the PI is like you know, you know I'm sure. Uh, Sure, Sven did uh, did a fine job. He did uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape the same year. Did he? As this film, so that's interesting. <laughs> that's a good yeah, movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm still blown away by the fact that Jeff Cronenweth ended up being so successful. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And he's he's been nominated for two Oscars. Good for him, man! Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Like the you know. You move up from being the first AC on, and 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 you know Jeff did a great job. Like you know everything's in focus, even the yeah, one yeah. And then yeah, he did the hooks ball that was. Out. He did the intentional overshot, and he did it perfectly because yeah. it it read like the camera. Yeah, and I mean you know, you know, uh, you know, David Fincher's a pretty exacting director, so I'm sure uh, Jeff is a consummate professional here. Yeah, I mean you're assuming, we assume. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's really that's, not much to say here. Yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Uh, that's how they shot it. Thank you for listening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do we, what do we have next? Well, we got a segment. What kind of segment is this? <clears throat> it is. Wait for it. The... Logical negation of falsehood. Wow, you got it right. Welcome to the truth. The the logical negation of falsehood. Yeah. You give me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But yeah, that's that's what we aim to do in this segment. So it's not always what happens. <laughs> we we haven't talked about aliens in a long time. Are we talking about aliens now? No, unfortunately. I mean I feel not. like we talked about aliens when we did Predator. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Which was like two weeks ago. Yeah, that's true. But like, not really. We didn't get into anything good. <laughs> okay, we're gonna wrestle and get come. We're gonna get into the good stuff now. No, well, yeah, we'll get into the truth. But there's no aliens. I googled sleepless in Seattle aliens, and nothing came up. You know why you might be sleepless? Because of the aliens abducting well, you at you, night? Yeah, you keep getting abducted at night by aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. So that's why so. Tom Hanks was sleepless. There you go. There you have it. That's the truth. No, so the uh, the actual truth that we're going to talk about today is uh, the real sleepless in Seattle couple. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Did this actually happen? Because I'm pretty sure this wasn't, this movie wasn't based on a true story. No, it wasn't based on a true story. So, it was actually after the film was released. Oh, I see. It was it was in uh, 1993. Okay. So there was a an Oprah Winifrey episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, which had a bunch of widowers from Seattle on it. Seattle, huh? Yeah, exactly. So of these five widowers on the on the Oprah Winfrey show was a guy named Jim. Um, Jim. Yes. You know Jim? Never mind. <laughs> oh, was that or maybe Jim knows you. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows Jim. So Jim was on the Oprah Winfrey show and he said uh he 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 talked about what he might be interested in uh, in a woman and he talked about, you know, what he liked about his 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 wife. The dead one. His dead wife, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dead one. And he said he said what he would be most interested in a woman is honesty, communication, and a sense of humor. Uh unique. 
Sounds like, yeah, sounds like all good things. <laughs> all positive <laughs> traits. Um, well, you know, someone heard this. Someone saw this episode of Oprah Winfrey. Right. Somebody saw an episode of Oprah Winfrey? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Crazy yeah, really? stuff. Wow. Crazy. I mean, I didn't think anybody watched that. Really? Wow. stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Rita was watching Oprah. <laughs> And uh, Rita was she. She found John's uh, segment to be John. I thought it was Jim. Jim, sorry. She found Jim's segment to be quite eye-catching. Um, okay. And she did something. This is what the article says. She did something she never imagined. She wrote. She hired a PI to go stalk him. <laughs> Doesn't say that she did that, but that would be great says she wrote a letter to a complete stranger, addressed it to the Oprah show, and included a memorable picture of herself which she, in which she was wearing quote-unquote grocho glasses. Okay. Because so, she has a sense of humor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. See, you're putting it together. Um, right. This film writes itself. Uh, so, Jim apparently received... Well, viewers apparently sent 10,000 letters to Jim. You sure it's not all people who have seen Sleepless in Seattle? I mean, it could be. <laughs> Point being, Jim got 10,000 letters. Right. And he, even, he went on a date with one of the people who sent him a letter, but it didn't work right. out. But this is where the serendipity comes in. This is where the romance comes in. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. The, the destiny. So, Jim... Jim was sitting at his computer one day and, you know, the st his stack of letters is in front of him. But, you know, he's he's got a lot of them. It's 10,000. He hasn't gone through them. And one of, the, one of these letters falls on his keyboard. Oh, okay. And he's like, whatever, I don't think much about that. I fell on my keyboard. I, I don't believe in signs, he says. Uh, so he right. puts the so, letter back up. he read it anyway? Well, he no, he put the letter back up on a stack of letters. Right. And continued his work. But then guess what happened? What happened? The letter fell off the stack again and onto his keyboard later. The same oh, one. Oh, so he's like, well, you know, I don't believe if it's a sign if it only happens once, but if it happens twice, it's gotta then be a I sign. guess I'll do it. It's gotta be a so, sign, right? So he opens the letter, and right. the rest yeah. is history. They uh, happily married with two children for over wow. 25 years now. Wow. <laughs> so that's your uh, that's your real life sleepless in Seattle situation. I don't think they right. met. Right. I so you sure it wasn't it wasn't inspired by the film? Uh, I think it was. I'm sure the Oprah episode probably was. Maybe it wasn't. I haven't found yeah, the Oprah episode. Like... <laughs> I looked for it, but I couldn't find it. Right. Because you said they were all from Seattle, right? Yeah. So you'd think it's probably it's probably based yeah. on it. Point being, it worked. Yeah. I mean, may yeah. Uh, telling their uh, kids the story of how they met or whatever. They're like, you know, it's just like Sleepless in Seattle. Just like Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. So one year to the day of Oprah's broadcast, Jim and Rita were married. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, so Seems kind of unoriginal, to be honest. <laughs> so there's your real life sleepless in Seattle, but that's that's part one of our truth. Okay, what else we got? So you, you said it wasn't based on a true story. I don't think it was. No, well, it wasn't. It wasn't based on a true story. But... There, there's kind of, there's a lineage of of films, I think. Unfair to remember. Well, you, that's where I'm going with this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so. Empire State Romance, Sleepless in Seattle, ends in an. It's the ending of Unfair to Remember. Yeah, I know that. Sleepless. So there's a chain of films here. So it starts with Sleepless right. in Seattle. Right. Which is very heavily influenced and, in fact, based off well, of... Well, it directly references the events of Unafraid to Remember. Yeah. 
So an affair to remember itself is actually very reminiscent, if not directly ripped off of another film. Okay, what film would that be? I believe it is called Love Affair. Love Affair, okay. Which is a screen... It's a shot... It's a 1938 film, and it's basically a shot-for-shot... An Affair to Remember is a shot-for-shot remake of Love Affair. Um, Really? And they both end with, um, uh, you know... Romances at the Empire State Building. Okay. But you know what I would contend is the true, the root of all of these films and actually what Sleepless in Seattle is based off of. What do you think Love Affair? You've got Empire State Romances. I would contend that there is one film at the root of all of them. Empire State Building. King Kong. (laughs) Correct. Really? You yeah, you it. nailed it. You fuck. You know me too well. You nailed it. <laughs> I would contend that King Kong. Well, I is think the it's true a bit of a stretch root. here, but is the, the true root? Is... Right. So you're saying this movie is based on King Kong? I would argue that Sleepless in Seattle is the watered down version of King Kong. I think you're out to lunch. <laughs> And that, my friends, is the truth. Uh, okay. Um, sure. I'll <laughs> take that. Um, <laughs> take it with a grain of salt, please. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely needs some salt. Like, maybe not just a grain, but maybe like a spoonful. A whole shaker's worth. Exactly. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, that's all I think we have to say about that. But uh, should we get into the final thoughts? Uh, yeah, that is all we have to say about that. Yeah, it's time for... That's all I have to say about that. Our final thoughts. Yeah? Yeah, what are your final thoughts? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I think I'm fairly, like, you know, blasé on this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's fine, you know? Yeah. You know, perfectly serviceable film. I find... There are some movies that we do that I have more fun looking into them than I do yeah. actually watching them. And this is one of those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't not enjoy it. Like, you know, no, it, it was, was all it's right. fine. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's it's fair to say that, you know, I'm not exactly in the target audience for this film, but like, you know, that's fine. You're not not. No, I'm not not. They're very explicit. Tom, everyone's selling the movie. Tom Hanks, Nora Ephron. It's not. Yeah. It's not a chick flick. They were very adamant, which is no no longer a relevant term, I don't think. Um, Yeah, no, not necessarily. But Um, it was when they were being interviewed about it. People kept asking, "Is this a chick film?" And they were like, "No, it's it's not. It's an emotional film." Right. Right. But yeah, point being. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't really have anything good or bad to say about it. Because I've seen yeah. rom-coms that are really good that like I quite like, that are like excellent. Yeah, you want to give me an example? A recent one was Palm Springs. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that. Sick film. You should watch it. Yeah? Uh, okay. But yeah, that, that, that's one that comes to mind. But this is this is fine. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Pretty much just echo the same sentiment. Like, you know, it's... It's got Tom Hanks in it, so that's plus. Yeah, you know, Tom Hanks is fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry if we could uh, have a more interesting uh, ending on that. Oh, but, uh, uh, and a f- more interesting critique at the end, yeah. A more interesting critique, but it's just... Do we, do, do we, what did Roger Ebert say about it? Oh, oh yeah, okay, let's read this. Uh, firstly, he said, The actors are well-suited to the material... Uh, Tom Hanks is certain has a certain detached edge to his character, which keeps him from being a simple, fa- simply a fall guy. Meg Ryan, who is one of the most likable actresses around and has a certain <laughs> ineffable Doris Day innocence, is able to convince us of the magical quality of her sudden love for a radio voice without letting the device seem like the gimmick it assuredly is. That's well put. Yeah, he says, uh, 
Huh. As ephemeral as a talk show, as contrived as the late show, and yet so warm and gentle, I smiled all the way that, through. That's the quote that we read last week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let me see if I can find what he actually, uh, what, what rating he gave it. Three out of five. That's, I mean, he, what he said is, is pretty much, I think, the what you get from it is this, like, it's a gimmicky idea that is really brought together expertly by the actors, and I think, yeah, to add to that, Nora Ephron. Oh, wait, no, I, I think it might have been three to four, not three to five. I don't know what it's a scale. Yeah. It. I prefer a five star scale. I don't love the star scale regardless, but well, you know, I prefer to have as much as many rotation as possible. Exactly, you want as many points on the scale. You know, I prefer just to, you know one to a hundred. One to a million is better. Yeah, I think it's a four star scale. Either that or just don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me either. But yeah, that's there you have it. That's all I have to say about that. That's all we have to say about that. That's all I have to say about that. This Roger Ebert four-star film. Yeah. Three-star film, sorry. Um, yeah, so that's, that's that. We will be back. We will return next week. Oh, shit, I forgot to give a shout-out. Yeah, who are you shouting out this week? Brazilian listeners. Wow. You know who you are. 